going to ask you to take your Bible or your media device and turn to Romans chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 14, and this is pretty deep truth, probably the deepest truth you'll ever hear in the Bible. But it's kind of truth that will set you free. I'm going to try to simplify it the best that I can. But this is an important doctrine that we need to hear today. It's in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And it is uh, an honor today to have Karen and Ernie here with us today. Good to have you. Charles uh, Erdman. I don't know if you ever heard of him before, but he was a, a Presbyterian minister. He was a pr professor of theology, and this is uh, what he said. He said, the life of a Christian need not be one of endless conflict. It should be a life of ever more continuous victory. Now, that sounds all well and good. The question is, how do we get from that place that we are now to a life of victorious victory? How do we get there? Well, that's our topic today, how to have spiritual victory in our Christian walk. And I've entitled the message today, His Cross is Enough. The cross of Jesus Christ is enough. We don't need anything else. So that kind of gives us a hint to where we're going today. Of course, as a society, we like to have a quick fix. We like to have the, the Burger King kind of concept there. We want it your way right away. We want things to happen really quickly here. Hurry up, Pastor. Give us the secrets to victorious living. I mean, we, uh, we sang some songs. We prayed. Clap. Did some hallelujahs. All of that stuff. Maybe, you know, we also gave some money too. That was good. And now we're waiting for God to do something here because of all of that. So what are you going to tell us today, Pastor, that's going to help us to move from a life that I'm in now to a victorious life? What are you going to be telling us here now? Something really quick? Like, uh, let's go, let go, and just let God. Why don't you just leave here and, and just pray? Keep the faith, baby. Say a few amens and hallelujahs. Give some more money to the church. Perhaps that will help. Or maybe uh, like Joshua, you have to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times. And at the end of all of that, we shout. The walls come tumbling down. Your problems come tumbling down. Everything is okay. Now, I have to tell you that and all the things that I mentioned, there's some truth in all the things that I've just said in their context. But any strength pushed to an extreme becomes a weakness. And so all that I've shared with you today about praying and the hallelujahs and amen and all of that and even walking around the walls of Jericho seven times are true. But they got to be put in their context. We need to have balance to what we're doing, solid biblical balance. We need to remember that we don't solve problems in the abstract. We only solve them in the concrete. So we've got to take the word of God and make it concrete. We've got to make it real. We've got to make it come 
alive. We want all these things to be firing on all eight cylinders so that they complement one another instead of working against one another. Now, so we're in the book of Romans, and this is probably the most uh, difficult book out of all the books of the Bible because it talks about some deep things. There's 16 chapters here. The first five chapters, they talk about the righteousness of God. They talk about justification by faith. Now, I don't want you to get all confused with this. I want to bring it down to make it simple for us. The first five chapters deal with justification by faith. So let's make it simple. Justification means just as if I've never sinned. You like that? Would you like to leave here with that feeling just as if I've never sinned? You have all your sins lifted from you? Wouldn't you like that? To know that whatever you've done, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is, you've cut yourself, you've got an eating disorder, you've done horrible things, you've stole before, you've hurt people before, but now it's all taken away from you. That's what the book of Romans is all about, justification by faith. No matter what you've done, it's wiped away, it's clean, it's clear. That's great. And then that's the first five chapters. And from chapter 6 to chapter 14, it's all about working out your faith because of who you are now. This is how you can live your life. Isn't that great? Let me try to explain it to you. I brought some samples today to keep this simple for us, to help us to understand what this is all about. Justification by faith, the righteousness of God. You see this uh, jar that I have here? Okay. Well, this jar has a copper wire in the jar. And it's been in there a long time, and so it's all meshed up the way it is. You see that there? So the quickest way to get the wire out of the jar and to free the wire would be to drop it on the ground, and it would be free. But it would still be entangled. It would be free, but it would still be entangled. I, I want you to get that for a moment because when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, immediately all your sins have been taken away. Your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins, they're all gone. But you're still entangled. That's called sanctification. The first thing is salvation. You've given your life to Jesus Christ and all your sins legally have been lifted from you. But now your life is still entangled. So that's what the book of Romans is all about. The first five chapters talks about your freedom in Christ. And from chapter 6 to 14, it talks about working out your salvation to take every strand. You see this here, copper wire? Straighten it out. One strand at a time. One strand at a time. That's what this is all about today. 
So, on one side, we have what you call your legal guilt has been taken from you. And then the second thing is working out who you are in Jesus Christ. So, let me give you this example. Let's say you committed uh, a very bad crime, and let's say you stole like $10,000 from a bank. And now you go before the judge, and the judge looks at your case, and this is your first time in court. You've had a pretty good life. You haven't done many things wrong. And so he has leniency on you. And so the judge says to you, not guilty. And he lets you go. Now that's good. But as you're walking out the court, out of the court, you still feel terrible. Now, why would that be? Because the judge just said, not guilty. So why would you feel so terrible? Because you still have the money that you stole from the bank. You understand? So in one breath, you're free, but another breath, you're entangled because you need to bring the money back to the bank to feel good. You understand? That's how this is working. God says to you, not guilty, all of your sins are forgiven. But now we have to work out our salvation so the feelings can come along with the legality of what's happened to us. And we confuse the two because sometimes we feel like we're not saved. We feel terrible. We feel all kinds of negative feelings and we keep thinking, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe God's not working in my life. Maybe there's a problem. No, there's no problem there because God has forgiven you. He's taken away all of your sins, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. Do you ask me, if I was to say to you, when God died for you on the cross, how many sins did he die for? Yeah, all of them. So what, is, what sin is keeping you out of heaven then? You tell me what the sin is. See, there is no sin. It's just a feeling that you have because you haven't worked out your salvation there's still things in your life. There's still that $10,000 that needs to be brought back to the bank. You get it? So one is a legal, legal kind of a standing that God says not guilty. But we don't feel it until we begin to live out the life. That's the book of Romans. First five chapters. Justification by faith. Righteousness of God. God says you're not guilty. But you still feel guilty. Because you haven't put your life in order yet. And so, we have verses here in uh, Romans chapter 6. In verse 3. Now this is important, folks, I'll tell you, because we live in a society we're not thinking anymore. I don't know what's going on. Maybe we have an overload of information. But we're just not thinking anymore. We're not stepping back and analyzing life the way we should. We're letting life analyze us instead of us analyzing life. But here in Romans chapter 6, we see several times, it talks about knowing, knowing, knowing. Look at verse 3. Or oh, don't you know? See what it says? Don't you know? And then it says in uh, verse 6, For we know, or knowing, in, chapter, in verse 9, chapter 6, for we know, or knowing, the question is, what do we know? What do we know? Well, 
Here's what we know. Listen up closely. We have victory. That's what we know. We have victory. Sin no longer has power over us. Sin has been judged. We've been found not guilty. And this passage tells us that there are basically three steps to spiritual victory. If you want to have spiritual victory, if you want to go from just existing in life in your Christian walk to living, there's three steps that we need to take. The first one is that you need to know. Know. There's certain things in your mind that you need to know. Know. Spiritual victory begins with someone knowing something. Christian living is always dependent upon Christian learning. You see, in the Bible, duty follows from doctrine. Duty is always built on doctrine. Duty is built on doctrine. You see, when we're called to live a Christian life, it's built on truth. You see what I'm saying? You just don't go out and live the Christian life. Duty is always built on doctrine. If I was to ask you to go out and walk on the water, you'd like to know if that water was... Uh, you know, frozen, if that's ice. Because, see, that's the doctrine. The doctrine would be the ice. The duty would be walking out on the ice. You understand? The doctrine would be the foundation of a house. The duty would be putting the house on top of the foundation. So in the Christian world, the duty is stepping out always on truth, always on truth, always on truth. But if you don't know what truth is, then you're going to have a problem stepping out on truth. You're always going to live a miserable life because your doctrine, your truth, your understanding isn't where it needs to be. So your duty as far as living out the Christian life is always a few steps behind. So the duty is always built on doctrine. Duty is always built on doctrine. Duty is always built on truth. You see? Now, if Satan can keep us ignorant of all of this, he can keep you defeated. If he can keep you ignorant of the truth, then he can keep you defeated over and over again. So verses 1 to 10 tell us that you need to know. You need to know what you were, what you are, and what you now have. So here's the deal here. First of all, when you know some things, what you were. Now, I'm not going to go in depth with all of this, but you can track with me. As you look at uh, chapter 6, you can look at verse 2. It says here, we were crucified with Christ. You know what that means? I want you to just picture this for a second. You were crucified with Christ. I want you to take all the sins that you've ever committed, your past sins, future sins, uh, present sins, and future sins, all of them. Why don't you take them all? And I want you to go back 2,000 years, and I want you to see the cross there, and I want you to see that every one of those sins have been nailed on the cross with Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus died on that cross, he died for every one of your sins because they're all nailed on the cross. So what is the sin that's going to keep you out of heaven if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? So it says you've been crucified with Jesus means that your sins have been put on that cross with him when he died 2,000 years ago, so all your sins are forgiven. Now, because you haven't corrected your life, you have these feelings inside, and you're thinking, well, maybe you're not saved. Maybe God isn't with you. No. Maybe you haven't done what God has called you to do 
even though you are saved, you're still living as if you're not saved. And so you're having feelings inside of you. And the feelings are saying, well, you're not saved. God isn't with you. There's all kinds of problems. No, there isn't. There's just you not being obedient to what God says to do. 2,000 years ago, all of your sins were nailed on the cross with Jesus Christ. So you crucify with Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 3, you were buried with him. Then it says in verse 4, you were raised with Christ. Then it says in verse 5, you were united with Christ. You know what that looks like? Total dependence on Jesus Christ. See, if I take this book right here, okay, and I put this piece of paper in the book here, wherever the book is, okay, or wherever the paper is, the book is, wherever the book is, the paper is, you see how that works? Well, you're in Christ. So wherever Christ is, that's where you are. Wherever Christ is, that's where you are because you're in Christ. When Christ died on the cross, all your sins were forgiven. When Christ went into the grave and he died and he rose again, you're going to rise again. When Christ went to heaven, you're going to heaven. See how that works? Because you're in Christ. You're in Christ. You died in Christ. You were baptized in Christ. You were raised in Christ. Wherever Christ is, you are. You get that? That's pretty simple. Yeah, amen. That's really good. I don't think we appreciate that, do we? To understand all that Christ has done for us. Because we got the devil lying to us all the time, trying to tell us otherwise. And we kind of kind of walk by our feelings, you know? The Bible says to walk by faith and not by sight, but we walk by our feelings. And so that's what uh, you were. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ. You were united with Christ. Now, here we go again here. You might say, well, I don't feel like I'm crucified with Christ. I don't feel like I was buried with Christ. I don't feel like I was raised with him. I don't feel like I'm united with Jesus Christ. That's because what Jesus did on the cross is a fact. It's not an experience. Do you understand the difference? It was a fact that wasn't an experience. The fact was, like the judge says, you're not guilty. Okay, but you feel guilty because you haven't taken the money back. You haven't corrected your life. And when you correct your life, your feelings go back to where they need to be. You understand? There's a big difference. We have legal guilt. And that legal guilt has been taken away when the judge says you're not guilty. But if you still hold on to the money, you will feel guilty. you got to take the money back too so that you'll feel right. I hope you get that. So from God's point of view, he sees you. He sees you as dead. He sees you as buried and raised with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, you're united with him so tightly that you could never, ever be separated from him. That's the basic truth of this passage. Now, I try to tell people this all the time. How does it look? Because you say, well, I still sin. I still do some bad things. Well, that's true. Maybe you do. But can I show you how this looks when you do bad things, when you sin? Because Jesus said your sins are all forgiven, your past, present, and future. So I'll use Beverly here. You know, Beverly is a wonderful person. She has a great voice. You sang that wonderful song about being redeemed, right? Okay. But you probably sin once in a while too, right? Yeah. Okay. 
Every time Beverly sins because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you see, Jesus is standing in front of Beverly like this, okay? God the Father is looking at Beverly. And every time God now looks at Beverly, he looks at Beverly through Jesus. And Jesus says, I died for that sin that she just committed. I died for that sin that she just committed. See, all the sins are forgiven because Jesus now intercedes for us. He ever lives to intercede for us. You see how this works? So he shows the father up there. He said, look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my head. Look at my feet. Look at the price that I paid for Beverly here. So God now has to look at you through Jesus Christ. And that's the big difference right there. So Beverly is sinning. But her sins are forgiven because God looks at her through Jesus. And Jesus takes away all of your sins. You've been redeemed. And that's how this works. Do you understand? But the devil will have you believe otherwise. The schemes of the devil. He'll have you believing based on your feelings, okay, that you're not saved. Based on your feelings that your sins have not been taken away. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. So, we found out what you were. Now here we're going to find out what you are. In verse 2, you're dead to sin. You're freed from sin. Now, you have to understand when it says you're dead to sin, it doesn't mean that sin is totally taken away from you because we still have a sin nature. What it means is that sin no longer has power over you like it did before. Before, it pulled you around like you had a little nose ring, and it was pulling you around all the time. And now you can resist it. It no longer has power over you. That's how we're freed from sin. The sin nature is still there. But we have victory now over the sin nature. We're freed from sin. It says in verse 2, it says we're dead to sin. Dead to sin. You know what that looks like? How can I explain it to you here? Let's say you're in death row. And today was your day to die. And so they take you out and they put you into the electric chair, okay? And now they hook you up and the person walks over and he's ready to pull the lever to execute you for all of your sins that you've done. Just then, Jesus Christ walks into the room. He walks over to you and he takes your hand and he says, come with me. He takes you over to the other side of the room and he sits you down. And then he goes back and he sits in your chair and he says, hook me in. Well, they strap him in and then he tells the warden, go over and pull the lever. The warden does, he pulls the lever. Jesus Christ just died for your sins. Now the warden turns to you and he says, look, I know you've committed murder. I know you lied, you cheated, you stole, you've done all kinds of things. But your price has been paid. You're free to go. You can leave the prison. See how that works? Because he paid the price for you. That's the freedom that we're talking about here. That's incredible. So when it says you're dead to sin, that's what it's talking about. 
You're freed from sin. That means sin is rendered powerless. It doesn't mean it's not in you, but you can conquer it. Where before it would conquer you, but now you can conquer it. It is possible to change. It is possible to change from alcohol. It's possible to change from drugs. It's possible to change from lying, from stealing, from cheating, from doing all kinds of crazy things. You can be free from that. No longer that it has reign over your life. You can be a free individual in Jesus Christ. Nothing can hold you back now. Sin has been rendered powerless. That's what that means there. Sin, the Greek, in the Greek word, it's been done away with. It says it means rendered powerless. It no longer has power to dominate your life. You know what it's like? Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It says so in uh, 1 Peter 5.8. We know that verse. But here's the deal with all of that. This lion that's roaming around looking to destroy you, think about this for a second. Jesus says he has no teeth. You just hear his roar. And you're petrified because of the roar. But Jesus said, I've taken the teeth out. You don't have to worry. You see, sin has been rendered powerless, powerless, powerless. You just hear the roar. Don't fall for the roar. We're following the king, not the roar of a lion that has no teeth. That's what this is all about. It's been rendered powerless. So what you have now is this. In verse 4, you've got a brand new life. You know, this brand new life is not just an improvement in your life. It's a whole new life altogether. You know, like, like a seed would go into the ground and a seed would die and it comes forth a flower. It's the same thing, but it's different. It's same, but it's different. It's the seed, but now it's a flower. That's how you are now. You see, when you're connected to Jesus Christ, you're the same, but you're different. God has given you a brand new life now. All of a sudden, you have changed. You look differently. He's given you a new heart. Things inside are different. You know when he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Transform means metamorphosis. He's taking us from a caterpillar that's crawling on its stomach to a butterfly that's flying in the sky. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be crawling on my belly. I want to be flying in the sky. And we as Christians can be flying in the sky, but why are you always crawling on your stomach? I don't understand that when we have the victory. When we have truth on our side, when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, when God said, if I'm for you, who can be against you? What are we doing crawling on our bellies when we could be flying high in the sky? Well, we got a brand new life. You know what else we have? We have resurrection life. It says so in verse 5 and verses 8 to 10, all about the resurrection life. Now I said this at Easter's time and I'll say it again now. I'll say it again now. Why is Christianity the only true faith in the world? You think I'm dogmatic? You think I'm single-minded? You think I'm pretty harsh by saying all of that? Why is Christianity the only true faith in the whole world? 
Why? Because we serve a living Savior. Because we serve a Savior who came, who died, and rose again from the dead. And because he lives, we too shall live as well. Now you tell me, do you want to serve a dead Savior or a living Savior? Yeah, you want to serve a living Savior, don't you? So you don't want to put your faith into Buddha. You don't want to put your faith in Mohammed. You don't want to put your faith in Confucius. Because if you go to their graves, their body is still there. I want to serve a living God, okay? One who rose from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead, I'm going to rise from the dead. You're going to rise from the dead. That's why Christianity is different than any other faith in the whole world. Because our Savior came back from the dead. Amen? Yeah, that's great. That's great news. That's great news. Well, a point number one is we need to know something. We need to know what we were, what we are, what we now have. But step number two is we need to consider something here. Verse 11. See what it says there? So you know something, but now you have to consider it. You've got to count or reckon it, believe it, depend on it, calculate by adding up the facts. That's what it says. We know something, but now we've got to consider it. You've got to take your steps of knowing things to the next level. What does that mean spiritually? Here's what it means, okay? Everybody who was born was born, okay, into the world, the kingdom of Satan and sin. That is, you were born into the world and you will live according to the dictates of this world until you come to Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Because everybody thinks, basically, if you go to a psychiatrist, if you go to secular counseling, they're going to tell you, basically, you are good inside. And what we're going to do is just tap in to that good person inside and bring it out. But I'm telling you now, you're not good inside. The heart is deceitful and wicked, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? That's what it's all about. We got to just the opposite in the secular world. They say it's good. And we're just going to tap around enough to bring out the goodness inside of you. No, I'll tell you something. The deeper you go inside of a person, the darker it is. So, everybody was born into the kingdom of Satan and sin. You were born into this world, and you live according to the dictates of this world until you come to Christ. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, now you're transformed. Now you become an entirely different person. Now you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Your heart has been taken out. That heart of stone has been taken out. Now you have a heart of flesh. Everything now in your life is totally different. Here, you have a new king. You have a new master. You have a new lord. You have a new citizenship. You have a new way of looking at things. Now you have new boundaries for your conduct. You're no longer that caterpillar anymore, but now you're the butterfly flying high in the sky. That's what this is all about. It's a whole new way of looking at yourself because God looks at you differently. So we need to uh, know some things. We need to consider some things. And lastly, it doesn't all work if you know things and you consider things. If that's all you've got, then you'll just leave here a smarter sinner.
I've said it before, I'll say it again. If that's all you have, you know things, you consider things, you'll just leave here a smarter sinner unless you do the last thing. The last thing is you need to yield, yield. You see, there's always an action that's involved in your Christian walk. If you don't put the action together with the things that you know, nothing good will come of that. So you need to yield in verses 12 through 14. There's two facts to yielding here. Number one, you need to be decisive. Look at verse 12. It says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. See, you need to be decisive, decide to be God's man, God's woman, because you are commanded to. God's plan is to work through you to save the world. So be decisive. Be decisive. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Number two, you need to be definite. You need to be definite. Do not go on presenting what? Definite is the members of your body. That's what it says there in verse 13. So you're decisive, then you're definite. What are you definite about? Well, the members of your body. Everything inside your body, decide how you're going to be God's man. It says here, by yielding the parts of your body. Verse 13 talks about the members of your body. That's definite. It's talking about your lips, your eyes, your ears, your mind, your hands, your feet, your heart, the intimate parts of your body. It's talking about that. Ah, as we're coming down the stretch here. You know, these can all be weapons. You know, all the parts of the body. They can be weapons that are used against God. Or they can be weapons used for God. Spiritual victory isn't going to just happen until you make it personal. You make it personal. So you come here and we prayed and we sang, we did some things. Is this personal for you? I don't know, when you leave here today, is it gonna be personal? Are you gonna go out there to try to conquer this world and say, I'm gonna make a difference in the world? It's a personal thing for me. You know, those eight men who died in Vietnam, that became personal for me, okay? I looked at that and I said, did these guys die in vain? What is life all about? It got me thinking about it. And I said, if I ever have a chance, I'm always going to speak the truth all the time for these men who died. Because they didn't die in vain. We remember that today, tomorrow, for Memorial Day. But I have a passion now to be able to speak the truth because of people who passed away. People have given their lives for a cause. And so now I'm compelled. But now there's people dying all around us. They're going to hell. Are you compelled? Does it bother you? Is this personal for you? And what about your own life? You have salvation but maybe you're still in this jar here. You see, you're all entangled, and all the pieces need to be stretched out, okay, like this, so your life can be falling into place the way it should. So, forgiveness of sins. Now, what does that look like? I'm just going to conclude with this. Here's what it looks like here. I don't know if you can see this or not, but every one of you, and myself included, 
came into the world with sin. You see that there? Can you see it? Yeah. See, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's gone. You like that? It's gone. <laughs> I'm going to do that again. So you like that, don't you? You like that. I like it too. <laughs> it's gone. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's hard for us to believe this, friends, because we serve an infinite God and we're finite beings. You can't totally understand all of this, but you can accept it. You can accept the fact that it's gone. Your sins are gone. Now, what you're doing is you're, you're experiencing the results of your sin, and that makes you have a feeling. So when you begin to put your life back together again, your feelings begin to go in place the way they should. But it's a legal thing. Your sins have been taken away. Jesus sat in an electric chair for you, and he died for your sins. It's all over. You can walk out of prison a free man. There's newness, there's newness of life for you. So the cross is enough. Why? Because it brings forgiveness and it brings forth new life. You've got forgiveness and new life. It meets the two deepest needs of mankind and it fills that hole in our hearts because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for freedom and forgiveness and then we're looking for newness of life, right? The two greatest needs that we're looking for. That is why the cross of Jesus Christ is enough. Because it's about love. It's about forgiveness. And it's about newness of life. It's all the things that we're looking for. It's all the things that poets write about. It's all the things that philosophers write about. It's all the things that people in the world are trying to find the meaning to life. What's the meaning to life? The meaning to life is God, through Jesus, has forgiven us. And he's given us newness of life. What else is there? There's nothing else. That's it. You find that. And you find the meaning to life. And you find purpose to life. That's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. The cross is enough. Father in heaven, you are so great. I can't even comprehend the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. That's incomprehensible. Because I have two, two daughters. I can never imagine sending them out to be put on a cross and die for the sins of the world. That would just turn my stomach upside down. How could you do this? It's only because of that agape love that you have for us, unconditional love that you sent your son, Jesus. You so love the world that you gave your only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. And you did love the world so much to send your son. Help us to understand that, Lord. Help us to receive it, and then help us to live it out. We pray this now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.